Before we get into any text today, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for being the church, the church acting like the church. You know, if, you're not, if we're not careful, we can become a church that is led by a pastor and some staff and everything gets centralized and we do everything for you. And then you don't get to participate in the work of God. And I am so proud of us, this church, those of you who are online also, because when it all hit the fan last time, last, was it last week, week before last? What happened is everybody started taking care of their neighbor. It was incredible. I've heard story after story. I had a, a moment of uh, intense failure. I felt like a failure. And I don't want you to feel bad. It's not for pity. I'm just telling you what I was going through and how God encouraged me through it. So as a pastor, right, you want to be able to take care of your people. Well, it was very difficult for me to get to anybody. <laughs> and so I was stuck taking care of my neighbors. And you know what the great part was is God doesn't need my help. Let that sink in for a quick sec. God doesn't actually need my help. And I had this wonderful, deep realization that as we've been talking about over the last year and a half, that you all have a place to participate in the kingdom of God, in the family of God. You are part of the body of Christ and you did so swimmingly. You did it in an amazing way. I heard of community groups reaching out to one another. I heard of communities just period, whole neighborhoods being taken care of by their neighbors. Oh, fancy that. Loving God and Love your neighbors. And I'm so proud of us. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you for taking care of one another and for doing what we've been talking about. It's pretty awesome to see. I'm just being a proud pastor for a second. This is why what we do is so important. We did change the world by loving people. It's pretty cool. All right. Enough of that. Uh, when I gave my life to Christ, I was 21 years old. I did not read the Bible. The only time I had opened the Bible was to rip out the front page to um, use it in a way that was inappropriate to use the page from the Bible. And I started reading the scriptures and, and, and it was just like, it was like a fire hydrant. It was like a, a hose just at me. I was like, are you serious? I would read things and I was like, is this true? And I would go and I would ask questions to my pastor. I was like, is this the thing? And I remember every time I'd read it, it's something else would get me. And I would be confronted with something I'd need to shift or change. And I was excited to do so. I remember I would go to church and I would have my notebook and I'd have a pen and I have my Bible. And I just couldn't, I was sitting, I would just wait. and was just like, oh my God, this is fantastic. Amazing, this is amazing. And I would take notes. And I would sit there and every Sunday, I remember feeling like there were days that I was so encouraged because I realized that this new life, you know, just like, ah, like I couldn't sing Amazing Grace for a year without crying. It was one of those sorts of things, right? I couldn't go to church without hearing from God. And I remember these days I would go home from church. I'm like, man, I got to work on this. Ephesians 4.29, don't read it. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is for helping others and building them up. I see some other people going, yep, don't read that. This is part of my sanctification process. But I remember reading it, it was like a smack in the face in a good way. And God was like, hey, I need you to shift to this. So I made a deal with a good friend of mine who was ultra sarcastic like me. And every time we talked, it was not for building one another's up. It was to get them. We made an agreement. Let's not talk unless we can be encouraging. So like two weeks went by and we didn't talk. 
Because it took us two weeks to apply it and put it into practice. Like, but there was this desire to put it into practice, to do this thing. I just remember being so excited. But as you know, maybe you felt that way early on. Maybe you used to come to church and get excited. Maybe you used to come to church expecting to hear from God. You used to come waiting to know what you were supposed to do differently. It was alive when you read the scriptures. Your church experience wasn't about whether you liked the song choice or whether the pastor was hip enough, which obviously he's not. And then somewhere along the way, what happens to us is it becomes just kind of, I don't know, not the same. And then we start justifying our positions in life so that when the scripture comes, we're like, yeah, God, I hear you, but you ever do that? You ever try to figure out the loopholes so you don't have to do what it says? Now we get there, right? As we grow up, we're like, okay, yeah, I know this one. I read it. I did that Bible in a year thing. And what ends up happening is we're not careful. Subtly what ends up happening, we become somebody different and it stops being an expectation that we meet with God on a Sunday. Instead, it becomes an expectation that we get what we think we want or need. And then the scripture becomes about as long as it fits my plan, as long as it fits my ability to control my life, I'm in. But if not, other people can apply it because it's not for me. And if one person did it, that's one thing. But as a people, we do this. I do this. I find that it becomes less of a punch in the face because I like to decide if I'm going to put it into practice or not. And then there's these times where we realize that we're there. We realize that we have set aside the word of God so that we can live a comfortable life. And we're convicted by it, right? And then you hear it and it, it, something snaps and you're like, oh my gosh, God, it's like I'm reading it for the first time. Have you had that season yet? Maybe you have gone through the whole cycle. You started out fresh and new and you heard it and it was alive and you went into this kind of, eh, and then, and then God brought you in and it was like the first time you read it and you read the scripture and you're like, oh, I'm supposed to be kind. And you're like, oh my gosh, has that always been there? And you read it and you're challenged and you, 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 you find yourself at this place where you say, okay, God, I've gotten here. I recognize that apparently I've been walking on the wrong road and oh, hey, I see this in the scriptures. I'm here. What do you want me to do? I'm in. And we're convicted and we're challenged then to go and put it into practice and to do what it says. This is where we find ourselves today. Nehemiah chapter eight, if you want to turn there. See, the good news about this day and age is that this, all the things we're going through aren't the first time it's been gone through. Isn't that encouraging? All the things that we deal with on a daily basis, all the things we deal with as a people, as a nation, are not the first time a group of people have gone through it. And what we're gonna to find today in Nehemiah chapter eight is a people who get reminded about who they are, but more importantly, who God is and then what they're supposed to do about it. Let's jump in. Little context so that we know where we are. 
Remember, this book is not really about building a wall, is it? It's not about rebuilding a wall. They finished it 52 days. It was fantastic. But this was really about rebuilding a community and rebuilding a nation of people, right? It was about rebuilding a people, not just a wall. Ezra had returned to Jerusalem in 458. Remember, Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah. So Ezra had already been in Jerusalem. He had, been, he had gone 14 before, excuse me, 14 years before Nehemiah, and he was sent by King Artaxerxes. You can look that up in Ezra chapter seven if you need to know the backstory there, right? And he was going to teach the Jews God's law. They had forgotten in exile the law of God. And when he first arrived in Jerusalem, right, the, the spiritual and the moral kind of atmosphere, the landscape was deplorable, was terrible, they had forgotten everything that they had been asked to do as a people. They had forgotten who they were. And so he taught God's word, right? And then God sent Nehemiah to rebuild the wall. So they've rebuilt the walls. Chapter eight, let's jump in. It said, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man. It wasn't, uh, oh, hey, these two community groups are gonna meet on Thursday. It was all the people at that time assembled as one man. Everybody came together as one. They came into the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Now the book of the law is the first five books. The, books, the book of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Just checking, just checking. It's, listen, you get to the old, Old Testament, you gotta, you know, find out who's been reading the whole thing, right? First five books of the Bible are the law of Moses, okay? It wasn't necessarily a feel-good mess. If you read those five books, there's a lot of history. There's value in history, right? If you forget who you are or who you should be, you ought to look at what was given to you at the beginning, Right? So they brought out the book of the law. Here's, here's what they, he goes on and says this. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. Right? So they had guys and gals and they had everybody who could understand. You could imply there's around, there's like in the tens of thousands that were present. Okay? He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened intently, attentively, same difference. They listened attentively. It means they were there to hear what God had to say. They showed up because they needed to know what God wanted them to do. They needed to know what God expected them to be. They needed to know God, period, right? So they gathered together as one. It wasn't because it was convenient. It was because it was necessary for them to survive and move forward. Is that how you wake up on Sunday morning? Ring. Let's go. We got to get to church. I got to hear God today. <laughs> that's not how it goes in your house. They woke up and they came to listen attentively 
because they knew that they needed it, not because it was what they were supposed to do. There's a difference. When you come to church, right? We come as one so that we can all hear the word of God, so that we can all know God better, so that we can all understand how to live our lives the way he wants. It goes on. Ezra, the scribe, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. This is where you get the stage. This is why that's there. It has nothing to do with position, okay? The stage was never meant for position or for elevating a person above the rest of the people. It was for pure functionality. It was built for the occasion beside him, we're all these guys that I can't announce or pronounce correctly. So you can read them and say them how you think they go in your head. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I apologize. I'll work on that. Ezra opened the book and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. You should understand why he was elevated. It was not because he was elevated. It was because he needed to be above. So as he spoke, the sound could travel to as many people as necessary. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Okay, let's practice. Everybody on your feet. No, no, come on, stand up. I know, it, it, listen, if you're able. <laughs> it's like, man, we have to do this? That's what it says. They stood up and Ezra praised the Lord. God, praise you for how good you are. Praise you that you are a loving, living God. And all the people raised their hands and said, amen, amen. amen. And then you know what they did? They got on their faces and they worshiped. So we're just gonna do the knees. They got on their knees. And not as a practice so that we can pretend that we're doing it, but Turn your hearts towards him in this moment. God, we know that we need to hear from you today. We don't say amen, amen out of practice or liturgy, Lord, but because we want you to do what it says in your word to do. And we want to be a part of that. Oh God, forgive your people for taking it lightly. Forgive us, God, for picking and choosing Forgive us, Lord, for not coming to listen attentively and for our lazy Christianity. God, I'm asking forgiveness for me. Oh, Lord, would you change us today as we kneel before you to worship you as the great high king. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. All right, we can take our seats again. It's a little different church experience than we're used to, isn't it? They all came as one man and they did these things to honor God and to readjust their lives. I got up early. I gave myself some extra time. It's good. The Levites, they instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. So here's the idea. Ezra's up and he's giving the law, but then there are these other, these priests, right? Experts in the law who then are in smaller groups explaining it and making it clear to those so that they can understand what was being read. 
right? They could understand it. This is the whole reason that we come here, right? God has already given the word. God has given us the word and it's my job and it's your job to know it well enough so that in smaller groups, you can make it clear and understandable for those who need to know what it says and how to put it into practice. This is not just my job. Did you know that? It is your job to know the scriptures well enough to make it clear. And if you have some place you don't understand to find out the answers so that you can continue to make it clear. Because in your homes, if you have children, it is your job to make it clear and understandable to your children. Matt will help you as much as he can. If you have children, youth, if you have a spouse, if you have friends around you, if you spend a lot of time in the coffee shop, amen and hallelujah for the coffee shop. To make it clear and understandable to those around you. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn and weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. And uh, it says, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to the Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, most of you know that scripture. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We put it up on our walls. We have little plaques of it. They sell them in Christian bookstores. The joy of the Lord is your strength. But in context, it's actually very interesting, isn't it? Because they had come to out of exile to rebuild a city and a people and a community while it was broken down and deplorable and busted morally and spiritually. They endured opposition multiple times and they finished the job. They come to read the law. They're cut to the core. See, when they heard the words of the law, this is the law, Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers. This is the law where it says crazy stuff. Go read Leviticus 19 and 20. You want to, you know, have an interesting read. There's some stuff in there. It wasn't like, you know, hey, do whatever you want and the grace of God be with you. It was like, if you don't do these things, you will die. They're cut to the core. They were cut to the core because they hadn't been living according to his word. And he says, listen, don't grieve. Don't let this be a time of mourning and weeping. Go and, and find joy in the Lord. The joy of the Lord will be your strength as you deal with the conviction that's going on in your soul. See, what happens generally is that we run away from conviction because it doesn't feel good, right? Have you ever had those moments you come to church, right? Now, this doesn't happen with students, only adults. You feel conviction, about something that you have heard or something that you know you will hear. And instead of mourning and weeping and finding the, letting the joy of the Lord be your strength to change, we run away. We ignore it. We stop coming. We don't want to be around it because it doesn't feel good. Because we wrestle with sin, don't we? Raise your hand if you wrestle with sin. If you don't have your hand up, you're not trying hard enough. I'm just telling you, we all wrestle with sin. And the people could not ignore their conviction. And Nehemiah gave him an encouragement. Go and let the joy of the Lord be your strength as you wrestle through this conviction that you've heard. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this day is a sacred day. Do not 
grieve. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink and they sent fat, uh, portions of food to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had, had been made known to them. And then they go and they, they continue, right? We, sometimes it's, it's enough just to get to church one day, you know? Like, what day is this, Saturday already? I gotta go to church in the morning? Man, it's three more this month. I'll make it next week. One day can be a little bit much for us in our busy American life. You know what happens though? It says on the second day of the month, this was the next day, the heads of all the families with the priests and the Levites gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. They did it two days in a row. Church twice. None of y'all would show up on the second day. If I say we're having church tomorrow, you know how many people would show up? like four. That's not a conviction. I'm just saying what's real. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were there. They were to live in booze during the feast of the seventh month, right? This was an old celebration that they were to do. And they found, it says they found it in the book of the law, like you're reading and you're reading and you're reading and you're just like, oh, you'll be judged for early careless word. Oh, they found it in the book of the law and they were like, what do we do now? Right? Oh, that's cool. I'm glad they celebrated then. No, you know what they did? So the people, verse 16, so they went out and brought back branches and built themselves the booze on their own roofs in their courtyards in the courts of the house of God in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built booze and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. And it says, day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read the book of the law of God. Then they celebrated the feast for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. They found it in the word, and then they did it the way that it said they found what they were supposed to do that they hadn't been doing. And not only did they do it, but they did it with some gusto. They celebrated like they had never celebrated before. It was like it was brand new to them. And yet it was something that had been given to them a long, long time ago. I used to give, uh, we used to give Bibles to children when I was a uh, kid's pastor. And it was my job to, to, why they needed me to sign them, I don't know, but that's what they did. And what I did was I always put a verse and it was always the same verse because if I could get any person on the world to live by this verse, it'll work, it'll be good. If a, a child or a student, a young adult, an adult, a grandparent will apply this, it'll work. It was James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word, dear brothers, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. They assembled as one. They had a super legit church service. And then they did what it said. They assembled as one. 
They worshiped God, they dug into the word, they found some things they weren't doing, and then they immediately went and adjusted their lives in order to live according to the word. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We should always come ready to hear and always leave ready to do. Always come ready to hear, always leave ready to do. So it means this. When you come to church, this is not the first time we've talked about this. Obviously, we talk about this quite a bit. If you come to church expecting to listen attentively to the word of God, right? If I say something that's not in here, you should dismiss it. It it should be in here. If I say, if it's not in here, then I shouldn't be saying it. Because you don't need to hear from me, you need to hear from God. You come always ready to hear from the Lord of hosts, the creator of the universe, right? And always leave ready to do what it says. That's the heart posture. We say, what do I do with church? This is what you do with church. You always come ready to hear, always leave ready to do. Always leave ready to do. I wrote down on my notes and I'm gonna do it because it's gonna scare me. It's gonna scare you. It says, read random passages. Oh no. This is Romans. <laughs> I see the one that I first saw and I don't wanna read that one. I'm gonna read another one. I looked at Romans 13 and the title says submission to authorities. And because I have a problem with authority, I'm going to read a different one. Is that okay with you? (laughs) I'm a man just like everyone else. Let's start with Romans chapter 12. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Does that cut anybody except me? Does that, does that bother anybody else? Does that, does that cause you to wrestle with your life and say, you know, I don't really honor people above myself. I honor myself. And then if it's convenient, I'll honor somebody else. Do I honor one another? Do I love people with brotherly love? See, this is what happened with the Israelites in Nehemiah. They read the word, they found where it said this, and then they went and did it. So here's what, guess what we get to do? Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. What are you holding on to that is evil in your life and that you're justifying because you don't want to let it go? Do you hate what is evil? Do you hate abuse? Do you hate oppression? Do you hate racism? Do you hate um, all the things that are causing problems in the world? Do you hate what is evil? And I'm not talking about in other people. I'm talking about in yourselves. In us. Do I hate what is evil in me? Start there and then work outside. Cling to what is good. Are we clinging to goodness? Are we honoring others above ourselves? Okay, that wasn't very fun. Uh Uh-oh, John. Let's get some red letters. It's always helpful when Jesus is talking. This is where Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman and they rejoin Jesus, the disciples do. And they were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. If you guys have tuned me out yet, I mean, you know, I get it. 
but stay, stay, stay in here. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And his disciples said, could somebody have brought him food? <laughs> I love the disciples. My food, Jesus says, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Open your eyes, look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Where are your eyes? Are you worried about your own life that you forget that people out there need Jesus? What do you hear with that? Are you so worried about your food, your physical life that we forget about the spiritual life that we're supposed to live? And see, here's the problem. We can, we can read it and hear it, but if we don't take it and go and do it, it doesn't matter. We'll end up just like the Israelites in exile, coming back, wishing we had done it the whole time. You want one more? Or you want me to stop? That's what I'm talking about. First Corinthians. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to read two from this one. First Corinthians 15, verse three. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, through this, uh, though some have fallen asleep. That's the gospel. That's where we find new life. Do we live in that understanding? How do we apply that? Well, it means that your sins are covered and buried. It means that you have new life if you have received Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it means that we should live differently with a new hope and a new future, a new purpose. Let's do one for the kids because adults don't struggle with bad friends. Do not be misled. This is verse 33, same chapter. Bad company corrupts good character. Listen, bad company corrupts good character. You know how hard it is to get rid of bad friends? Some of the students are saying amen on the inside because they don't want to raise their hands and say it like they did in Nehemiah's time. Amen, amen. Bad company corrupts good character. You know that midday drinking club that you have? You might need to find some new friends. You know those kids who are leading you down a path that is going to destroy your body? You should find some new friends. You have heard it now. This is the, what Nehemiah in Nehemiah's day, they heard it and then they immediately went and did it. It didn't say that it was easy. It took effort. They had to go and get the logs. They had to bring them back. They had to build the shelters. It took effort to do what it said. This is why we need Jesus because we can't just change ourselves and be better. This is not a moral gospel. You can't just be better. You need his help. And this is where we come to. If we always come ready to hear and always leave ready to do, we're gonna have to have the help of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus. What would happen if we applied this in our homes, this scripture? What if we applied Ephesians 4 in our homes where husbands love their wives and sacrificed and, and served them in a way as Christ did? It says that Christ loved and died for the church and a husband should act the same way with his wife. 
Do we treat our wives that way, with tenderness and compassion? Presenting them spotless without blemish in the way you talk with your buddies about your wife? What if we applied that scripture? What if we applied the same passage where it says that, that wives in the same way show respect to your husbands and build them up and serve alongside them? When you're with your girlfriends, instead of complaining about all his insufficiencies, I wonder what happened if he knew how much you appreciated him. What if we applied the same scripture where it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Your parents didn't make that scripture up, God did. That's part of the 10 commandments. What if, what if, what if in school we uh, learn to appreciate and respect authority? What if we went and applied it tomorrow when you go to school? Today when you go home? What would our world look like? What would our social landscape look like if we applied the scriptures to live with brotherly love and to hate what is evil and love what is good and all the things we just read? That we knew we'd stand before a good, holy judge that would hold us accountable for our actions and our speech. Friends, this is what we're asked to do. This is what we're called to do today. It's what the Israelites did. They came ready to hear and they left ready to do. Are you? Am I? Let's pray. Father, we ask as we, as we move to pray, I pray, God, that our hearts would be soft. Lord, that you would um, reveal to us the areas we need to change and shift and move. God, as we spend some time in prayer, that you would give us the courage to surrender these things before you and that you would take us up, Lord, in your yoke and you would show us how to do it different. God, we're here for you. We're here to hear you. And we need your help to go and do. We're going to finish uh, as we always do with this with prayer. And um, I'm going to ask that those who would help with prayer to make their way forward. And I'm going to ask uh, you can stand or sit during this time. Uh, we're going to sing a song. And I want you to enter into a time with God. If you need to confess, confess. If you need to ask for help, ask for help. If you just need to praise, praise. But don't miss this opportunity and this time that we have to interact with the living God so that we can be changed. If we leave the same, we've missed it. Let's spend some time praying. Get your heart right and we'll sing a song. And if you need to come forward, receive prayer uh, to be with some friends up here. We're here for you.